Well, good morning. Before we jump into the message and continue our series, uh, as you guys know, we've been trying to do what we're calling like testimonies or, or faith-building stories where we're hearing from people where God is challenging them, where God has moved in their lives or through their lives. And so each week, our goal is to share at least one of those stories with whomever uh, God kind of puts on our heart or you guys, as you guys share them and we hear them, we want to share them as an encouragement, not just to you. They're certainly faith-building to me as well. But it's just a reminder that God is always moving. We may not always hear the stories as you guys sit in the seats, and even me as the pastor, I don't get to hear all the faith stories, but when we do, we want to share and celebrate what God is doing. So with that in mind, I'm going to invite my good friend Adam Raby up to the stage. Let's give him a round of applause. Actually, he just shared this this morning, how God's been challenging him uh, to kind of stretch him and grow him. So with that, I'm going to just ask you, tell us a little bit about kind of, you, you mentioned in the in the prayer circle this morning as we were praying, kind of this, not that you've said year of yes, but that was kind of a, a, a catapult or a springboard for you. Yeah. You know, Craig just got done explaining small groups and uh, we were talking and, and there were some people sharing this morning about their small group and we had somebody in ours that shared that they had a year of yes. And, uh, you know, I quietly, quietly started thinking through that, like, what would that look like for me? Um, how would I be able to do that? Um, not really sharing with anybody because I didn't want the accountability piece to it. I wanted to say no if I wanted to still, right? Like, I didn't want to be like, hey, you said a year of yes, man, and you're not doing it. Like, you're right, yes. So so I didn't tell anybody about it, but um, opportunities started coming up that I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go for it. One of those being taking a job at a Christian school, which I really battled with um, and was like, man, I'm not the right guy for that. I'm, I'm not, I don't work in ministry. I don't, I don't know. Nah, I don't know enough about the Bible, you know, and, and let all those um, things kind of creep into my head thinking that I wouldn't be able to do this job, wouldn't be able to do this job. Um, and then finally just said, you know what, you said you were going to do this. Why don't you just say yes? Um, and then I took that job and, and thought, I'm just going to be the assistant principal. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to take care of discipline and that's it. I'm not going to dig any deeper in anything else. Joke's on me. God had other plans. Um, so, so then God starts challenging me in different ways. Um, and one of those being this past week, um, I was asked to lead kind of our chapel. So what we have is we have a big chapel once a week that we have all the kids in the building. And then once every month or so, every month and a half, we have what we call community groups, which is kind of similar to small group settings that, that we've created um, but we give our leaders, the leaders of those community groups, they get the morning to go and kind of learn some leadership skills. So it's, it's myself and the principal in front of 350 kids in the morning trying, putting, I just saw my days over there, that's going to be crazy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and it's a lot easier talking in front of 350 kids than it is 100 adults for just some Just imagine reason. them all as kids, yeah. Adam. They're all kids yeah, right now. Yeah, so it's a really, really different scenario. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, we had to run this community group morning. And... Um, you know, we're talking through it, and the principal looks at me and goes, you take it. And I went, whoa, nah, I'm not taking that. Like, I'm not, I don't work in ministry. I don't do this thing. I'm here to be an assistant principal. You hired me to be an assistant principal. I'm nothing more than that. Um, joke's on me. God, <laughs> God said, we're doing it. Let's go. Let's plow forward, and let's, let's do it. And um, so we put together a, a, this chapel and based it basically off the book we're reading. So it was really cool to take what we are learning here and spread it out to 350 kids um, at the school that I'm working at. So we sat in silence for two minutes. You know, we had a chance to get, let the kids spread out 
to their own areas, um, and I just told them, like, hey, you're going to reflect on identity. And, and weeks before, we had done something on identity, on what God makes, you know, how does God see you? And they wrote on mirrors, and they wrote messages, and it was really impactful and really cool. Um, so we kind of kept that going. Uh, so they had a chance. They spread out. We're praying. We're kind of reading that mirror back to them, and then we just played some worship music. Um, but it was really impactful to kind of take one, what I was doing here, um, listening to God through those two minutes, um, and then spreading that love of, of what I'm hearing and, and just the stretch of being the pastor or the minister, or the, you know, or working in that capacity, which again is, is so far out of my comfort zone that it's just not what I would have normally done. And like I said in the, in the circle this morning, it was all God that put that together for me. I would have never known to even come up with this idea, but through reading the book and pressing into what we're doing here um, and, and just saying yes, I was able to put together a decent, um, you know, 30-minute chapel experience for 300 kids. So pretty I'll exciting. Let's, let's give Adam a round of applause. Thank you. As he was sharing, and, you know, like, it's not me, it's not me, not me. I was like, well, there's a pretty well-known character in the Bible named Moses who said the same thing, right? Like, not me, God, not me, God. So you can read it for yourself in the Old Testament. I can point you in the right direction. Around Exodus 8, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. But Moses was like, you got the wrong dude. I am not that guy. And that's just a heart, a posture that God's like, oh, that's exactly the kind of person I want to use. So if you guys have stories to share, write them on your Connect card. I'd love to connect with you, hear what God's doing in and through your life. And uh, if you're willing, we'd love to share it up here. Well, I want to start this morning with a confession. Um, I may dislike the Chiefs more than I dislike the Steelers, and that's really hard to do. And uh, so for the second straight year, I will not be watching the Super Bowl, um, just because I know my own tendency to get frustrated over a silly game. Last year, it was very wise, it turned out, for my, on my part. This year, I hope I regret it, because I hope this Chiefs lose. But all kidding aside, I do have a, I have a, do have a real confession. Uh, those of you that know me well know that I have, I'm, I'm pretty quick-witted and, and I'm pretty sarcastic, but sometimes that sarcasm can sneak into how I talk to my kids and how I discipline my kids, and I'm not real proud of that. My frustration can spill out in a lot of unhealthy ways. And I read, it's not been recently, but some years ago, that most of our frustration, most of our anger comes because we don't get what we want, right? And I don't like that truth either. Like, typically we're frustrated or angry because we didn't get what we wanted, we think we're right, or we think we have the best way to do something. And when it's not done that way, we get frustrated, we get angry. And when I slow down and I reflect and look back on those times when I am frustrated and angry... I hate to say those are more true than I want them to be. Because at the core, it's about me, right? And I can wrap it up in some spiritual language, right? Well, I just want what's best for people, right? <laughs> but really, it's, it's about me. I'll share one more. My quick wit and sarcasm can sometimes often cross the line to get a laugh at somebody else's expense. And this can also rear its ugly head, because I am pretty quick-witted, and I'm very sarcastic. If I'm dealing with what I perceive as bad customer service, then I really pour it on. Now, maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. Maybe not. Either way, this morning, we're going to talk about a word that I believe is misunderstood. It's something that we often even shy away from. It's something that can be seen as a weakness. And to be honest, it's something that not a lot of us do well. And of course, that word is confession, right? And my hope this morning is that we leave here with a true understanding, a correct understanding of what, what it means to confess and what confession biblically means and why it's so crucial, it's so important to our faith and our relationship with Jesus. 
And I believe if we learn how to lean in and to practice this in our lives, not only are our lives going to have more depth to them, our lives are going to be more light. We're going to have a lighter kind of load, and we're going to live more free than maybe we ever have before. But before we jump into the, the message this morning, let's just invite God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and meet us this morning. Will you pray with me? God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, and God, would you just... Uh, come in the way that you can just open up our mind, open up our eyes, our ears, our heart for what you have for us. Help us to see this idea of confession coming to you as our Heavenly Father, the good, good Father that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. If this is your first time joining us online or in person, we are glad you're here. As it's been mentioned several times, we're in a, a series off the book Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by the author Tyler Statton. And if you haven't got the copy of this book, I can't encourage you enough to go to your local library, head to Amazon, pick up a copy. Uh, if you're following along on our reading plan, which is in those journals, and you have the book, you will read through the entire book. We will not cover the entire book in this series. We also have a small group on Wednesday nights that will start the week of the 18th. Can't encourage you enough to jump into that to dive a little deeper into the material as I mentioned, today's topic is one that's misunderstood, and because it's misunderstood, it's not practiced well. And when we hear the word confession, at least for me, I think of, you know, the old-fashioned confessional booth, right? It's a place you go, you, you sit, and you talk to a priest, and you tell them all the, the sin or the bad things you do, uh, or that you've done, and you hear your penance, which is a real churchy word for punishment, right? Then you recite this, this prayer of sorrow, you receive your forgiveness, you head out, and you go do your punishment. And to remind you, if you know my faith story, I didn't grow up in church, but that's kind of where my mind goes when I hear this idea of confession. Now, as a matter of fact, I really can't point to a community or a church that does this well, that does confession well, and I'll throw Blue Ash Community Church right in that assessment. Now, we've certainly done services where we've encouraged this. We've talked about it at different times, but I wouldn't say we're proficient at this idea of confession. I wouldn't say we're good at it. I would say we're growing in it, right? And we want to be better at this, not just so that we can say we're good at confession, right? But because we deeply believe that this is a core part of our life with Jesus. It's the part of Jesus that Jesus comes and he, he hears our confession. He takes our sin. He cleanses us. He renews us. He restores us. It's the place where Jesus loves well. Because God wants uh, his presence in our lives. And if we truly want that, confession is not just part of the deal. It's the best part of the deal. And the challenge, of course, is that this idea of sin and confession, uh, the things that we confess, it's been so manipulated Right? We've, we've heard stories that it can bring about fear and lack of trust when the opportunity is brought up, which is ironically exactly what our spiritual enemy wants us to think and believe. The enemy wants us to stay in that fear. The enemy wants us to, to believe that we really can't trust God with our sin. The same enemy who kind of whispers in our ear and tempts us to do the things that we do is the same enemy that condemns us. You know, he, say, he says things like, come on. I mean, God's not going to punish you. He's not going to stop loving you. Just do it, right? And then you do it, and he's quick to say, I cannot believe you just did that. How can you call yourself a, a Christ follower? Who could ever love you for the things that you do? And Jesus just hates the burden, the weight, the shame that the enemy wants to heap on our shoulders. And Jesus says, I want to just take this off of you. 
And his method for doing so is confession and repentance. The hang-up, of course, is, and always has been, is trusting the God that we say we believe in. This was the struggle from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden think that God's holding out on them, right? Like, that there's something better than what God had promised or offered. So when the enemy comes along and whispers in their ears and said, hey, eat this fruit from, fruit from the forbidden tree, they begin to think, maybe God is holding out. And so they think they know what's best for them. Regardless of what God has said, they eat the fruit. They say to themselves, we know what's best. We'll eat from the tree. This is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is a shorthanded for uh, attempt to meet our deepest needs with our own resources. Even the good desires that we have can be sinful when they are channeled by the wrong means. So Adam and Eve do what we often do after they sin, after we sin. They hide, right? Now they hid in the garden. We, didn't, we may not physically hide, but we hide from God in lots of other ways, right? Maybe we avoid certain people. We, maybe we quit coming to church on a regular basis. We don't pray as much. Maybe we, our quiet time starts to drift. Maybe we don't give. Maybe we make excuses for everybody that seems to love us and care about us. We make excuses for not being around them. We hide. We feel shame. We feel guilt because that is what the enemy does. But just like... God walked around in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. He's walking around in our lives looking for us. Not because he can't find us. He knows exactly where we are. But he's inviting us back into a relationship with him on our terms, not on his terms. And when God walked around in the garden asking Adam and Eve where they were, again, it wasn't because he didn't know where they were. He was inviting them back into relationship. Many scholars and theologians believe when he's doing this, when God's saying, where are you? He's giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to come clean, to confess, to seek forgiveness, to restore the relationship. This is what God is doing when he's walking around our lives, inviting us back into the same opportunity and the same relationship. But since this idea of confession and biblical sin is so misunderstood, we don't really know how to deal with it. So it's easier just to hide and to blame. But biblical sin is not, uh, you know, they're not being accused. It's not condemnation. It's just a diagnosis. As Tyler Statton says in his book, he says, sin is a trip to the doctor's office where we describe our symptoms and discover that there is a name for our disease. And that name, of course, is sin. So we could also say, Confession is where we identify, describe, and explain our symptoms, and the name of the disease is sin. The prescription then, of course, is confession and repentance. But sometimes in our life, there are symptoms of sin that we've just grown accustomed to. We're just used to them, right? We don't even realize that they're symptoms at all. We've just lived with them for so long. So sometimes we need, like, a scan, an x-ray, an MRI to see beyond what we can physically see ourselves. The good news, of course, for us is that we have access to this kind of searching and scanning in our own lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that lives in every one of his kids, which is anybody that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. Listen to how Psalm 139 says this. This is King David writing this. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit, he says? Where can I flee from your presence? I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And then a few verses later, we see this idea of searching again. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Thoughts. In other words, God, I give you permission to scan me, to, to reveal to me what I can't see on my own. Show me the disease of sin in my life, where it's festering, where it's growing. Again, the author points that out. He says, if we do not deal, deal with the disease, it will spread to all other areas of our lives. Talking about sin. The sin disease that isn't treated gets in the way of what we're made to do. Namely, living free, healthy lives, using our bodies to glorify God as they were designed. Now, more recently, I've lived this idea of of scanning in a very practical way recently. I shared this a little bit last week, but on January 26th, I had a procedure done on my left leg where they removed uh, some melanoma. I went into the dermatologist with like three areas, like here's three things that I want you to to look at while while I'm here. And uh, they took a little sample out of my left leg, came back as malignant melanoma in situ, which they caught really early. I have to do periodic scans for the next five years. Should be good to go. But I got that call from the results. I was at lunch. And it all happened so fast. I hope none of, none of you guys ever have to get a call like that. And so I'm just trying to like process all the information as it's coming in. And it kind of put me in a little bit of a whirlwind. So later, after I'm processing all of this, I couldn't remember exactly what they said. So I began doing what you should never do, Googling malignant melanoma. And I knew there was something about a two in there, right? So I'm like, what is it? No matter what phrase, no matter what I put in the Google search, it just came back as stage two. So now I'm starting to think, I think I have stage two melanoma. And stage two melanoma isn't great right? So then I start, started thinking, like, how much of my leg are they going to have to take out? What if it spreads? Will they have to amputate my leg? What if this is it, right? Like, what if this is how I go? Like, this is how God's designed it. So eventually I did what every wise person would do, is you call back the doctor, right? <laughs> like, could you send me that report? So they send me the report. I had to wait. It's almost 24 hours later. I read the report. I couldn't see anything in there about it, too. Right? There's no two in there in the report. I asked Craig, like, Craig, can you read this? I needed a fresh set of eyes. Like, what am I missing here? And he's like, you think they said malignant melanoma in situ? I was like, I think they did. Right? But for the better part of 24 hours, I was in limbo. The reality, though, is had I not gotten scanned, had I gone undiagnosed, or if I just refused the treatment, this small spot that they removed on my leg could have a much larger impact on my life than it has. 
This is what sin does when you don't take it to the doctor, Jesus, right? When we just let it fester, when we just let it grow, when we don't ask God to reveal it, it begins to spread. Now, the reality is there's some of us sitting in this room or listening that goes, I don't even like the doctor, right? You avoid the doctor. Ignorance is bliss in your world, right? We just don't want to know. We don't want to deal with it. Even if it's something that's getting worse, this is how we often can approach confession. We just rather it not deal with it. It's just a little too vulnerable. We're worried about what the results would be if we confess. But what we don't know is Jesus tells us the results of the confession. He already promises it. He promises freedom. He promises forgiveness, restoration. He's going to pour out his mercy and his grace. See, when we sin, we aren't aren't sinning against some moral code or a lot of rights and wrongs, like this is what you can do and can't do. That's not what happens. When we sin, we're sinning against our Heavenly Father. And unlike what we might think, God, our Father, isn't waiting for us to confess so that he can go, gotcha. He's not going to give us a big lecture. He's not going to scorn us or shame us. He's not going to pour out his wrath, right? God is waiting to love us. He's waiting to cleanse us. He's waiting to restore and redeem us. In the New Testament, John chapter 8, there's an adulterous woman who gets caught in the act. And all her accusers bring her to Jesus. Like by the law, like, hey, this woman, should be, she can be stoned to death. And so they bring him to Jesus. They bring her to Jesus and say, we should stone her. Jesus listens to the accusers. And this is what he says in verse 7. He says, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Jesus looks at the woman and says, Where are your accusers? Did not one of them condemn you? She responds, No, Lord. Jesus replies to her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. This is a beautiful model, what the Father does. This is who Jesus is. This is what's waiting for us when we come to Jesus with our sin. This is what happens after God reveals the sin hidden in our hearts that maybe we don't even know is there and in our lives, and we we bring it to him and we confess. I mean, what if every time, every time we find ourselves, maybe we're, we're struggling in shame or guilt, Maybe we find ourselves in some sin pattern we can't break. Maybe there's something going in us we don't really know what it is. But every time it's revealed to us, we use it as an opportunity to bring it to our Heavenly Father and confess so that we can hear the words, neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus doesn't run away from us when we're, we're struggling. He doesn't run away from us in our weakness. Actually, he runs towards us in our weakness and our sin. It's in our weakness that he is strong, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us. We not only have a good, loving, compassionate father, we have a great physician. But a doctor can only provide a solution to our problem with an accurate diagnosis. It's our responsibility to provide as much information as we can to the doctor so that they can get the right diagnosis. That's what confession is. 
It's saying, I want to name my symptoms the best way I know, completely and comprehensively, so that I can receive the healing completely and comprehensively. I went to the doctor. The only symptom I had was a spot on my leg. And to be honest with you, I thought I'd had that spot forever. I couldn't remember not having it. That led to further scanning. This is what Jesus does in confession. And we tell him, here's everything I know. Here's everything I know. But I'm inviting you in, Jesus, to do further scanning in my life and in my heart. God, reveal to me. Seek me. Search me. So that you know the next step to take to remedy this problem that I have. We run to Jesus in confession because he has the solution. And we can trust his goodness, not to judge, but to rescue. This is what King David understood. This is why he wrote the psalm. He said, you have searched me and you know me. This is why he asked God to search him, to know his heart, to test him and, and, and see if he had any anxious thoughts. He asked him if, if there was any offensive way in him to lead, lead him in the way everlasting. This is why it's written about David that he's a man after God's own heart. David trusted. He wanted God to search him. And it's easy to think, like, okay, as I mature in my faith then, that means I'll just confess less, right? Actually, it's the opposite. The more mature we become in our faith, the more we'll confess. Even we, the more we confess, the easier it'll become, and we'll actually get to see God's faithfulness. And when we do, we see that God's true to his word, that he's compassionate, that he doesn't condemn, he doesn't shame, he frees us. And the only way to have a deep relationship with Jesus is through that inner digging, that inner scanning, that verbal admit, admitting, it's confession. And our sinful flesh, because that's what it is, is going to be the biggest obstacle to that. We'll never mature if we're just going to go with what we feel, what our flesh is telling us. Our flesh is going to tell us over and over and over, we got this, you got this. You just need a little more time, right? You don't need to say anything now. I mean, you've done it this long. There's nothing to, you don't need to come clean today. The spiritual enemy will tell you, if you do confess though, it's over, right? They're not going to understand. Jesus certainly won't understand. And the only way to combat the, the insistent internal narrative that was planted in all of us at the fall that keeps us in this perpetual state of hiding and dressing ourselves with our own fig leaves, the only way out of that is confession. But we can't put it off. We just can't wait. This reminds me of my favorite plague in the Old Testament. And I know it's weird to say, a favorite plague, right? But I have one, I confess. In Exodus 8, a little background. Moses has been identified and chosen by God to go to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and ask Pharaoh, hey, let my people go, which is the Israelites. Let them go, go let them go worship God. And if he doesn't, then there's going to be plagues. So there's this back and forth narrative you can read for yourself. Moses comes, Pharaoh says yes, then he changes his mind, plagues come, right? Over and over we see this. Well, this is one of those times. Let's read it for ourselves. It's so good. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. 
Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and your kneading troughs. The, the frogs will come up on you and your people all and all over your officials. And that's exactly what happens. There are frogs everywhere. I mean, if, if we were in this plague, first of all, I can't even imagine the noise. How loud would that be? How bad would it smell? I don't like frogs. I like them a little better than snakes. And I'm terrified of a snake. I'm convinced I will turn into Jesus and walk on water if a snake comes after me. But there are frogs everywhere. I mean, you can't use the restroom without there being frogs everywhere. You can't open your oven. You can't get into your bed. There's certainly not any sleeping happening, right? You can't get in the shower. You open up your car door, frogs everywhere. No matter where you step, no matter where you go, go frogs just everywhere, covering everything. Well, Pharaoh's had enough of these frogs, as I would, right? I think anybody in their right mind would be like, okay, we're done with the frogs. Like, I'll let them go. They can do whatever they want. Moses hears that and says, great, I'll give you the honor of setting the time. When would you like to get rid of the frogs? Seems like a straightforward question. Seems like the answer is really easy. Like right now, that would be great. Yesterday would have been better, but I'll take now. Verse 10, Pharaoh answers, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Let's get rid of the frogs tomorrow. I mean, instead of getting rid of the frogs right then and there, Pharaoh wanted to sleep with the frogs one more night. I just can't wrap my mind around it. And we laugh. I laugh at that. I go, what an idiot. And then I look at my sin, and I go, Ugh. I think I'll deal with that one tomorrow. Right? That one is tomorrow's problem. That's a future Andy problem. Let's not, let's not sleep with our frogs. Let's decide right now we're going to deal with it today. We're not going to put it off to tomorrow. Let's not be people of tomorrow. Let's be people of today. Let's decide today we're not sleeping with any more frogs. We're not let that hang over our heads. We're not going to carry the weight and shame and guilt that the enemy's placed on our shoulders. We're going to give it to Jesus. We're going to allow God to scan our lives right now. We're going to ask God to search our heart and remove the sin in our lives through confession so that we can be restored and renewed, so that we can live in freedom that God has for us. But in order to do that, we've got to give God permission. We've got to say, God, strip away the fig leaves. We need to ask God to do it now, not tomorrow. So in a few minutes, I'm going to give us an opportunity to do just that. Grab your Connect cards that Craig talked about. We're going to offer you some next steps. And again, if you haven't filled this out, I want to encourage you to just minimally write your name. We believe God has a next step, and by you simply writing your name, I truly believe you're saying, God, I believe you have a next step for me, and I'm willing to take it. So he may reveal something that we may not even list. I just encourage you to write that down, drop it in the offering when it goes by. But the first next step is this. Accept Christ for the first time. Maybe today's the day you accept Jesus. 
This is the day you would say, yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I've tried to live life my own way, and the only thing I'm carrying around are a bunch of frogs and shame and guilt. Right? I, my life isn't going the way I want it. And so God says, here, let me be the author. I know it's good for you. I know what you need. I'll even give you what you want, but you've got to say yes to me first. Let me be the author. So God, so the Bible calls that repentance. You turn from your ways and you turn to God's ways. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry for what I did, and now I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. If you've made that decision, mark that on your Connect card, drop it in the offering. Make sure you get some free resources. We want to follow up with you. You're not meant to do this alone. The second is a mem our memory verse for the quarter. We have a memory verse for every quarter. Again, we have those memory verse cards in the back. If you don't have one, grab one. It's the Lord's Prayer uh, is what this book actually covers as well. But it's a great verse or uh, verses to, to just imprint on your heart, to remind us who God is, what he wants to do in us and through us. Many of us have this already memorized, but if you don't, just spend some time working through that each and every day. The third one is this. We're going to practice this in a moment. We've been building on this. The first week was two minutes of silence. Just sit in two minutes of silence. Recentering our life. We asked Jesus to come. Come with the power of your Holy Spirit. Recenter us. Refocus us on, God, what you have for us, right? And then last week we learned of adoration. Where we're praying psalms of adoration or scriptures of adoration. Telling God how great he is. Not because he needs to be reminded, but we do. We, we can do adoration through singing worship music, which we've already done this morning. We can do it through uh, prayers of gratitude. I've told you a little bit about my practice of gratitude. And then we're going to add on the confession piece this morning. Two minutes of asking God, just search me, God. Know my, know my heart, know my ways. Test me. We'll see what God reveals in that time. And the last next step that we offer is prayer. We'll have prayer teams up here on my right and back there on my left. Um, be honored to pray for anything that's going on in your life. Maybe you need a healing. We had a healing that happened a couple of weeks ago that we shared. God still moves in that way. God is powerful. He's the same God of, of creation that he is today. He wants to renew and restore. That's the whole story of the Bible from the first page to the last is restoration honored to pray for anything. We're going to go ahead and receive our offering and drop in our connect cards, and then we're going to spend a few minutes in silence. We're going to spend a few minutes in adoration, and then we're going to spend a few minutes asking God to, to search us. And if God is, if you've given him that permission to strip away your fig leaves, to, to, to search you and seek you, to do that scan, maybe he reveals something to you of ways you can do that. You can verbally confess. You confess to somebody you know and love and trust. You can write your confession on the cards that were provided on your, on your seats. Drop them in those orange buckets. It's your way of saying, I'm confessing to you, Lord. You can sit in that confession. Tyler does a great job at the end of the chapter. I think it's chapter four of walking you through what that can look like. Not just a one-time thing, but a daily thing. Where we look forward to going, I'm just going to cleanse myself. I'm going to quit walking around with this junk. I'm going to give it to God. Because he's a good father. He loves me.
with that, let's start. Let's start with two minutes of silence. Is ready? Let's go. You can just open up your hands and just sit. God, center us. Help us to think about how you love us. Help us to see us as you do. You've been practicing this over the last couple of weeks. It's hopefully this has gotten shorter for you, one. But it's amazing if you're really trying to seek true stillness and quietness. Quietness, how hard that's to find. There's noise everywhere. But it's about your mind quieting your mind more than it is the space. So Craig and the band are going to lead us in some adoration and worship. But during that time, I encourage you to spend that time as well, asking God to search you. As you feel like you're hearing from the Lord, there'll be that still voice that you could you could call it your own and dismiss it. But if it's a challenging thought, if it's a loving thought, if it's a biblical thought, that's the Holy Spirit. He may challenge you to do something or confess to somebody, and you've heard my kind of way, like if God if you know it's God, if it's something that's loving, biblical, and you don't want to do it. <laughs> That's probably God. I encourage you to take a moment, write it down, get rid of it, put it in these orange buckets. I'll read over them. I'll pray for every one of these. Let's confess. Let's watch, see what God will do when we give him the thing he already knows we're carrying. Let me pray. God, thanks. Thanks for being a good, loving father. That when the world may want to condemn us, when, when our own shame and guilt is piled on from the enemy that's whispering these lies, help us to capture those thoughts and discard them because they're not from you. You do not shame. You do not guilt. You will convict. 
but only to change our heart closer to yours. The only thing you want us to feel is your love. You want us to know that we're seen, that we're one of your kids. So God, speak to your kids. Love on your kids. Remind them how much they're loved. So much so that you came. You died. The death that we deserved. Thanks for loving us. For never giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Free to sit or stand.